We thank you because you are good, you are wonderful, you are marvelous, you are awesome, you are faithful, you are powerful, you are Jesus. We thank you for our gathering this morning, O God. We thank you for that which you are said to do. Lord God, even as we have gathered, speak a word unto each one. Speak a word of life. That your name be glorified. Transform us. Make us become more like your son Jesus. That our lives will show forth your praise. Thank you, Father. For every man, every woman, hearing my voice. And hearing your word. Let your word go to do a work in each life. A work of transformation. A work of edification. In the name of Jesus. Let us live here better than we have come in. In the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that every imagination, every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of your word in each life here, Lord God, let it be cast down. Let your word be enthroned upon our hearts. And let your name be glorified. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. And the people of God said, Again, again, hallelujah. You may be seated in God's wonderful presence. Praise the Lord. Today actually will be the first day I will be preaching in two services back to back since we started the two services. And um, preaching the same message in two services. It's a bit awkward, but uh, bear with me as I try to get used to it. Okay? Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, to add to it, I'm using a microphone I'm not used to. So it is an uphill task for me today. God will help me. Amen. Okay, today I want to talk to us about a message I have titled, The Day I Decided. The Day I Decided. The Day, to put it in more or in proper context, The Day I Decided to Stop. A great theologian that I can't remember his name said, the choice you make are yours and the result is the world you live in. The choice you make are yours and the result of the choices you made is the world you live in. The world, not meaning the world, but your own world that you live in. So this morning I want to talk to us about never having to underestimate the power of decision. And I ask this morning, what is in your life that you need to stop? Are you hearing me clearly? What is in your life that you need to stop? What habits? What attitude? What self-defeating behavior do you need to stop? What thoughts do you think that you need today to stop? 
what are the tendencies you have or proclivities that you need to stop? This thing is echoing. What is the drift in your life that you need to stop? What is the drift? And when I say drift, I mean the tendency to go in one direction or another. You know that when a car is not properly maintained, it tends always to drift to one side, either to the right or to the left. And they call it, or they say that your alignment is not proper. And I've come to find out that every one of us, when left alone, has a natural drift. Whenever we do not keep our lives in check, we drift. Some drift into self-pity whenever they are alone. Some drift into indifference, no care in the world, no care for life, nothing to live for, no expectation. Some drift into negativity, into despair into harmful thoughts. Thoughts that do not elevate you. Which is the reason why people become suicidal when they harbor thoughts in themselves that were not checked. They have gone on a drift. Some become cynical. They distrust people. They become too critical of things around them. And some drift into carnality. As a Christian, God wants us to be spiritual. And the things that bring us or take us into carnality, we must avoid. And sometimes when we begin to drift, we usually are not conscious of that fact. Until somebody or something checks us. So whatever the drift is, what I'm here to tell you this morning is that there must be a day to decide to stop. A day has to come in your life and I hope and I pray it is today that you decide to stop. And I pray this message will reach someone today in the name of Jesus. I pray this message will reach you today in the name of Jesus. So maybe do one thing for me. Turn to somebody and say this message is for me. You are not saying like you mean it. Say it with conviction. Wonderful. May it be for you and for me in Jesus' name. First John chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 9. First John chapter 1, preferably the New Living Translation. You can have it on the screen. First John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Our focus today is not just on sin, but on weights in our lives that easily beset us. Something in your life that is not just the best that God intends for you is what I want to talk about 
today. Something that you say to yourself, I need to stop. Something you can have to say no to, beginning from today. And church, without a doubt, it's not an easy thing. Never an easy thing to stop a habit or a particular lifestyle. Or a self-defeating attitude. It's not an easy thing to stop something you have practiced over a very long time. But it is important from time to time to ask God. To ask him from a genuine and a sincere heart. Is there any part of me that needs to change? Is there any part of my life that needs some adjustment? It's very important that we do that every now and then before our maker. And I want to assure you that God is always there, always on hand to offer a helping hand in the different areas of our lives. But the first thing that is needed is honesty of just assessing where am I right now. Each one of us needs that honesty. Genesis chapter 3 may be a good start for us. Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of Adam and Eve living in a utopian world or a perfect world, a sinless world, the world that had no sin. And in Genesis chapter 3, God gave them dominion over everything that was in the garden and told them to freely enjoy all that they came across. But said to them, of this one tree, do not eat of its fruit. And then we see Satan, for the first time in the Bible, being introduced into humanity or into the affairs of humanity. Satan, the deceiver, the tempter. And he comes to tempt Eve and Adam with that very thing that God said they should not eat. To put it in perspective, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. We'll read it down to verse 8. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were what? Open. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? The Bible says that when they heard the footsteps of God in the garden, they went and hid themselves. And interestingly, a good number of us believe we can hide ourselves from God. We believe we can hide our thoughts from God. We believe we can hide the things that are happening to us from God. We believe that the things we do in secret that no other person sees is hidden from God. How interesting. Because the Bible tells us that even in darkness, God sees darkness like daylight. Nothing is hidden before him. And these two people hid themselves from God and God had to ask them and call out to them, where are you? 
Where are you? And I believe that that is the question for you and I today. Where are you? You need to pause for a while and ask, Where am I? It's a question we must ask ourselves, if not every week, but every month of the year. Where am I? Am I growing? Am I getting better? And, brethren, you must know that whenever God asks a question, it is not because he needs an answer. Certainly not because God is omniscient. He knows all things. God specializes in asking what is called rhetorical questions for effect. God is a God of rhetorical questions. He asks the question because Adam needed an answer. The same way God is asking you today because you need an answer. Are we together? He's asking not because he needs an answer, but because you are the one who needs an answer. He's asking because you need at some point in your life to make an assessment a genuine assessment of your own life. God knew before he can get Adam to where he needs to be. Adam has to acknowledge where he is. God knows that before he can get you to where you need to be, you have to make an assessment of where you are presently. So God asks Questions to get our attention. Is somebody hearing me this morning? Before any one of us can grow in any area of our lives, any one of us, there's got to be an honest assessment of where you are presently. Adam had messed up and he was trying to leave a cover up. And then God comes into the garden and asks him that probing question, that penetrating question, and says to him, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? If you don't know where you are, if you cannot acknowledge where you are, God is saying, I cannot get you to where you need to be. I cannot help you you cannot acknowledge where you are. So it is a question of self-evaluation and it's a question that needs honesty because nothing can keep one bound in the same spot, in the same position, more than one who lies to himself. And one of the greatest lies we tell ourselves, one of the greatest lies I tell myself is starting from tomorrow, I will. <laughs> There's another word for it. It is called procrastination. It's a lie we all tell ourselves. And you must know that tomorrow is always a day away. You never get there. Always a day away. Tomorrow, I will do this. Tomorrow, I will start doing this. Tomorrow, I will start tomorrow. Praise the Lord. So it's one of the things that tells us that we have 
an unlimited capacity to deceive ourselves. An uncommon capacity to deceive ourselves. Whenever we say, I am okay, and you know you are not okay. When you say things like, leave me alone, I know what I am doing. And you have absolutely no idea of what you are doing. How many people have been in such situations? I have been there. When you say things like, oh, don't worry, I can handle it. You can handle nothing. Nothing. When I even say, oh, what I am doing will not affect me, don't worry, it will not affect me. We tend to lie to ourselves. Oh, this is not really who I am. It's not really who I am. Who are you? If this one tells you this is what you are, this one tells you, who then are you? I don't know if I'm making sense. They say that if you go anywhere and everywhere you go to, everybody tells you you are a horse. What else do you need? Go and get a bridle and hold your mouth. If consistently everywhere people are telling you the same thing, stop saying this is not who I am. It may not be who you are, but that is what you are projecting to the world. Are we together? Are we together? And the worst lie is the self-lie. You can never be able to address a problem or an issue consistently or constantly if you keep on avoiding it. You cannot. So what is the area of life that you need to change? This morning, I challenge you. What is that area of life? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your love for pleasure? Is it in your love for material things? There are some women I know, compulsively, whether they need it or not, they are always accumulating and buying trinkets. What is it in your life that needs to change? Are you getting uncomfortably close to someone of the opposite sex that is not your spouse? What is it in your life that you need to change? And you are telling yourself, oh, don't worry, I'm in control. People have come and have gone before you. Even anointed people. And when the critical time came, they lost control. You are not in control. Do you understand me? Oh, somebody is not following me this morning. Is it a subtle love you have to poison the minds of people? No, there are some people who are like that. Oh, when they sit down, can you see? They make you see the things you ordinarily would not see. And Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 16, mark those who cause dissension amongst you, who bring discord, and do what? Avoid them. Do you enjoy being in the company of such? What is it in your life that needs to change? Is it your work relationship? Is it your parent-child 
or as a child, the child-parent relationship. You are not getting along with your parents very well. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. Do you want your life shortened? Or you will receive grace today to make that adjustment. What is it in your life that needs to change? Is it your addictions? Is there an addiction in your life that you have not yet acknowledged? A secret sin. Something nobody sees, but you do it consistently. Is there one? Is there? Is it an attitude? Is it an anger issue? That you need to come before God and say, Lord, I need this to change before it destroys me. Is it your insecurities? Such that those insecurities threaten every relationship you come into. What is that you kept under there? What is is it? Let me see. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Where are you? Where are you? I'm hearing one sound. Who is that person in the room? Is it your inability to put your trust in God? Is it your language that needs to change? No? Years back, in the gathering of ministers, we were just talking, and there was this particular minister, years back, not here, there was this particular minister. For about three or four times, he used the F letter word, without even knowing it. No, you talk, say, those guys are just F up. You know, you say, if you use another one, without being conscious of the fact that he uses so freely the four-letter word. Is it your language that needs to change? Like James said, blessings and curses come from the same mouth and it ought not to be so. The mouth you used to bless God is the mouth you used to curse. What needs to change? See your work ethics. You go to work and that is the time for you to read your Bible. Or you go to work and under your table what you are doing with the computer backing every other person is computer games. Something that you probably need to bring before God and say, Lord, change this for me. And the reason we need to do that, trust me, brothers and sisters, is because the enemy, the devil, specializes in noting the areas of our character flaws. He's very good at it. He takes note of it and keeps a record of it. And when it is very critical in your life, you know what he does? He brings up the file. And trust me, it is something he has been doing since the creation of the world. You can never be better than him at it. So you need the help of God. Amen? Amen. And for as long as you keep denying them, for as long as you fail to acknowledge those flaws 
and those areas of weaknesses, they will hold you back. And that is why I'm challenging you today. Hopefully on this blessed day that you stop lying to yourself. You stop lying to yourself. Praise the Lord. Stop saying, it is not that bad. If it is bad, acknowledge it is bad and deal with it. I'm just fine. Stop blaming others. Stop denying it. Stop avoiding that question. Deal with it. But it has to start by being honest. Because for you to get to where God wants you to be, you have to be open and honest with God. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Why is this a condition of? I'm feeling a bit hot here. Romans chapter 12. From verse 3 I read. Romans chapter 12 verse 3. Thank you. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me. I think the I think the wind is affecting the mic. Romans chapter 12 verse 3. Are we there? Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. I said in the first service that God is not interested in making you comfortable. God is interested in making you free. That is the interest of God. God wants to set every one of us free. But the truth is that he cannot make you free if you are not honest with him. If you are not honest with him. And I believe very strongly that God has given us, among so many others, a three-way mirror. Sometimes, it just may be difficult to be able to explain to you what a three-way mirror is, because most of us are used to one-way mirror. We have in our houses those standing mirrors or the one by the cupboard or wherever. That is a one-way mirror. It gives you only one dimension of yourself. But a three-way mirror gives you all of the dimensions of yourself. That is why they call it, why they say something is 3D. It gives you from every angle. And maybe to explain this, some of you must have had the experience, either male or female. Once I went to the barbing salon to cut my hair. And after they finished cutting, the barber stood behind me and held up a mirror. A mirror that was like this, plus the mirror I was looking at. And as I saw the mirror, I saw the back of my head. And I was almost going to tell him, that's not my head. Why? Because it was a part of me that I was not familiar with. Everybody could be seeing the back of my head, but I don't see the back of my head. Likewise you. So oftentimes, God puts us in situations where we have a three-dimensional perspective of our lives. And he does so in these three ways. Are we together? And number one way he does so is that he gives us 
covenant people, people around us who will always tell us the truth. They may not know they are telling you the truth, but they tell you the truth all the same. One of them is your spouse. I hope we all, for those who are married, are married to people who tell us the truth. So one of them is your spouse. One of them is your children. One of them are the brethren in church. Or close friends and associates you have who are not afraid of you to always tell you the truth. Like I mentioned in the first service, one of the most, some of the most shocking things I have learned about myself came from my children. Now they are getting older, so they are not so sincere when they talk because they are afraid that, you know, if they say the truth so much, Daddy may not do this or that, but when they were much younger, they say the way it is. The youngest of them, this one at least, still was very frank with me. I said to me this morning, Daddy, why do you always frown on Sunday mornings? I didn't know I'd do that. <laughs> you know, I didn't know I'd do that. You know, in my bid to get ready for church, I'm harassing everybody in the house. Get ready, do this, do this. Say, why? I didn't know on Sunday mornings I always frown. So, for me now, I have determined that on Sunday mornings, I'll be smiling. (laughs) When a child says to you, Mommy or Daddy, are you mad at me again today? What does that tell you? That you've been mad before, and you probably have been in the habit of getting mad. So you do something about it. Or why are you always sad? You see, you may look at them like children. Oh, it is the word of a child. But that is your mirror. Because if you pay attention, that may be something that will take take you away from the slide of despair and depression. If a little child can tell you, why are you always sorrowful? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, God has ordained strength. Are we together? So be sensitive to those around you. And the question this morning is, what are those around you saying to you? What are they telling you? What are they telling you? That is why oftentimes the church tries to encourage fellowship. Be in a connect group. Be in one group of fellowship or the other. Don't stand alone. Don't be alone. Church is about fellowship. Every one of us needs people sometimes who are just there to reflect in our lives the things we cannot see. Are we together? Number two thing that God does for us by way of three dimensions is that he gives us the word. He gives us the word. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. 
It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know, when he says the word of God pierces into joints, it means that sometimes you sit in church and the word is coming, you are uncomfortable. It is hitting here, you are saying, ah, was this man with me in the house? Did he see what I did before I came to church? That is the word of God. Whenever the word of God is either preached or it is read, there is only one response that God expects of us. And that response is, God, what are you saying to me? Don't be the kind of people who sit in church and perhaps even for this message that is being preached, you are saying, ah, I hope Bolali is in church or she's hearing this message. I hope Timothy is hearing. No, that is not the way it should be. It should be, God, what are you saying to me? Whether you are reading the word or it is being preached, what are you saying to me? The third dimension is our own conscience, our conscience. And the word of God says, to thyself be true. You may deceive everybody, but what? Don't deceive yourself. To thyself be true. In the morning I made, I gave an example, very, it's a bit of a confession, pastoral confession this morning. You say to the whole family, I am on a diet. No more this, no more that. And they go to bed. Twelve midnight. You sneak into the fridge. You take two slices of bread and butter and you eat. He says to thyself, be what? True. Who are you? Are, are you dieting for them or for yourself? <laughs> you are laughing because you do it sometimes too. To thyself, be true. Because at those times, what you sacrifice, you sacrifice what you need the most for what you want now. What I need the most is to lose weight. I want to share weight. But what I want now is just to take a bite of that bread, very soft bread. There's, let me not go there. Let me not go there. There is this bread that they sell in my area. Hi! If not that God made food, I would say it's the devil that invented it. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, the thing they fell for could not have been worse than that bread. They always bake it fresh every day. And you see the queue of people waiting to collect it. The aroma of the bread. You know, that is why they say anything you want to do begins from the shop. As I go to the shop, it's not me, it's my wife that buys it. And she says, don't touch it. I said, no problem. Be true to thyself. Be true to thyself. Hallelujah. So, three things. God puts people in our lives. No, yeah. God puts people in our lives. Number two, he gives us his word. And number three, he gives us a conscience that is pliable. A conscience that can be pricked. When your conscience is not pliable and it can be pricked, you gradually are descending into what? What's the word for it? 
reparate states. That's the word. You gradually. And may that not be our portion in the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. So, three things that God does for us by way of dimension. One, he puts people in our way. He gives us the word and he gives us the conscience. And three lies we tell ourselves very quickly. The first lie we tell ourselves is that that person is far worse than me. You know, we like always feeling good when we're around people we are better than. And it's a lie we tell ourselves most of the time. Ah, me I did drink, oh, but that one, hey, his case is too bad. Ah, me I humanize, oh, but that one, oh, God. God have mercy. That is one lie we tell ourselves. There will always be someone who's worse than you. So there's nothing new about that. But you see, the bad thing about that lie, the problem with that lie, is that again, there will always be people who are better than you. So using those you are better than as an excuse to disappoint God is hardly an excuse. Am I talking to somebody? And that is what is called the comparison game. When you compare, you never win. You are a loser. Never do. The problem with comparison is this, simple. You are always keeping your eyes on your neighbor. You get focused on what the Bible says is the speck in the eye of your neighbor. And you leave the timber, the electric pole that is in your own eyes. That's the problem. That's always the problem. So the comparison game is a never winning game. There will always be somebody who has done worse than you, but there are also people who are better than you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. It says, Galatians chapter 6, we'll read it to verse 5, 3 to 5. And I will read it from the NIV version. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Each one. Each one should carry his own load. Don't compare yourself with people. Anyone who compares himself with people is not wise. That is what the Bible says. The second lie we tell ourselves is that word does not apply to me. It does not apply to me. (laughs) It does not apply to me. I know what the word of God is saying or what the word of God says for me to love my enemies. But you don't know what I've been through. If only you knew what I've been through, you would not ask me to love my enemies. I know what the word of God says about being open, being truthful, being naked, and not being ashamed with my spouse. But you don't understand my own marriage. If you knew the person I'm married to, and I'm open, I will not last 24 hours. So the question I ask, when God wrote that word, he exempted you from it. Or when he wrote that word, 
he put an asterisk and said, when you get there, you can jump it. Go to the next verse. Is that what God did? I've often said that the word of God is not a buffet. That you can pick and choose. Like cherry. This one is good for me. This one is not for me. It's for that, my brother. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I was making the second point, right? Is that correct? Was it the first? No, it's the second. I said the first lie we tell ourselves is that that person is far worse than me. The second one is that that word does not apply to me. Good. Praise the Lord. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 23. I'll read from verse 23. James chapter 1. James 1, 23. Hear what James, the half-brother of Jesus, has to say to you and I this morning. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straight away forgetted what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, whoso keeps his eyes on the perfect law that brings freedom. So there's a law that brings liberty of freedom. Are you with me? So what does that tell us straight away? The laws of God are not meant to imprison us. The laws of God are meant to set us free. The word law and the word freedom don't go together. They are opposite words. Because whenever you use the word law, laws by nature are restrictive. Freedom by the word releases. And he says it's a law of liberty. So what the word of God is saying to us is that if you practice and you follow this law, you will be free. Amen? It frees you. When you follow this law, you do not have to remember what you said to your wife last week. You do not have to remember where you were two days ago. You will not need an alibi. You know, <laughs> somebody told us a story of a man who stopped womanizing because gradually he was beginning to develop hypertension. He said his wife has an uncommon ability to remember things. The things he said to her 10 years ago, she remembers them in details. So, he will come to the wife and say, ah, that's my cousin. Eh, that's my cousin. He said, ah, but you told me five years ago that she's your colleague in the office. Oh, well, uh, you know, sometimes you can, you can get very close to people and they are like your cousin. He said, another thing he said to his wife, that Susan said, ah, but you told me you were going to Benin now. That is what you told me. He said he was gradually beginning to develop hypertension because he cannot remember what he said yesterday and what he said did for yesterday. So instead of him to die before his time, say, you know what? I am leaving this matter. Let me face my wife. <laughs> Par 
perfect law of liberty when you follow it. You see, some people think they are having fun by playing that kind of life, but they don't know they are dying gradually. Are you seeing it? Perfect law of liberty. You follow the law, your life is freed. The third lie we tell ourselves is this thing will not impact me. Mm-mm, it will not. I know what I'm doing. I know when to stop. I know. How many of you have said that? I know what I'm doing. Even though I'm doing this, I've not lost my focus. I know. Forget it. <laughs> Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians 6, verse 7. It says, or let's read it from the NLT translation, if you can put it up. Galatians 6, verse 7, NLT. You don't have NLT there? Good. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Go on. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Like I said, sin always, always leads to destruction. Sin, before you go into it, will overpromise you. When you have gone into it, it under-delivers. It overpromises and under-delivers. That is what sin does. Every one of us are subject to what? Spiritual laws. And one of such laws we are subject to, which I know you will relate to, is called the law of gravity. No matter how much you love to fly, you watch natural, National Geographic, and you saw different birds, as they get into the air, they begin to float, and you decide as you are seated here in the church, to spread your hand and see whether you float. You won't float. If your hands remain like this for the next one year, you'll be on your seat. Do you know the thing that is keeping you on your seat? It is called the law of gravity. That is what is keeping you where you are seated. Are we together? That is what keeps you where you are seated. And brothers and sisters, just as real as that law of gravity is, the same way is real the law of harvest. Whatsoever you plant is what you will reap. No matter how anointed one may be, you cannot sow orange and reap an apple. It is a spiritual law. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. And trust me, Genesis chapter 8 verse 28 says, For as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will not cease. So, brothers and sisters, 
the day you all of a sudden find yourself beginning to float in the air the day you begin to do that that is the day you know that you can commit a sin and that sin will not impact your future but as long as you cannot float it means that when you sin there will be a consequence for the sin A very simple example, if you permit me. I was sharing with the workers in training, which I may have shared in church. You know foolishness is a sin. You know the Bible calls folly a sin. Do you know that? When you choose to be foolish, you are sinful. You don't want to be wise. So, you go to Nitel building in Marina. Hmm? You get to that building, and you climb to the topmost floor. And from that floor, he said, man, I feel like a bird. I believe I can fly. And from that top, you decide to jump. And as you are coming down, you say, oh, I've been foolish. God, have mercy. Forgive me. You know God will forgive you. You know he will forgive you. In fact, what you have done is that you are on a quick route to heaven. He will forgive you. But the consequences of your foolishness, you will pay it. And what is the consequence? If you are lucky, you may only come out with a broken leg. But if you are not lucky, that is express transition to the other world. To be with God where? In heaven. Why? Because if you do not ask for forgiveness as you are coming down, you will go to hell. But as you ask for forgiveness, God will take you to heaven. So the consequences of what we do must always appear. Are we together? Yes, oh church, you are not answering me. Oh. Yes, what I am saying to you this morning is that every deed, every action we take is a seed. Everything you do or you choose not to do deliberately is what a seed the law may not capture you. You know the story I was discussing with somebody of the young man who went to swim with his friends and uh, they left him to drown. I was explaining to somebody that in some ways the law may not find them guilty if it is proven that they did not put him in the swimming pool. The only thing they chose not to do was to offer a helping hand. Hmm? So for the law they may be free. But for God is a seed which they will pay dearly for if they do not seek the forgiveness of God. Am I making sense today, church? Am I? Praise the Lord. But you must understand that God is not looking for perfection. God is not seeking perfect people, though. He's looking for people who want to be perfect. He's looking for people who are pursuing perfection. Not people who are relaxed and have no desire to become better. Amen? He's looking at the intention of our hearts. That is why David, of all his siblings, David in the Bible, with everything that he had done, God says, this is a man after my own heart. Irrespective of the things he had done, God looks into his heart that this one seeks only my glory. Am I making sense? Church, you are not answering me. The scripture says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Or the truth will make you free. 
And the truth will make you free is not only the truth of the scripture, any truth that you know and you apply will set you free. Amen? First John chapter 1 verse 9. First John chapter 1 verse 9. It's a scripture we read earlier. I read it again because I want to round up. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, but we will have to confess our sins for God to forgive us. And the reason I mentioned that you have to confess your sin. Are you listening, church? The reason for which you have to confess your sins is that there are two beings, two entities that need to hear you confess your sin. The first one is you. You need to hear you stop lying to yourself. You need to hear it. You need to hear you tell yourself the truth about yourself. The second is God. God wants you to acknowledge your sin on your shortcoming before him. So there are two people. You and God. Am I making sense? You and God. You need yourself to say, I'm helpless. I can't save myself. I can't do it on my own. I'm a sinner. No, I may be a good cover-up, but yet, Lord, I'm a sinner. A story that I want to wrap this up with, which I shared in the first service, is the story of a lady who came to her pastor and told her pastor that she was suspecting her husband of cheating on her. She told the pastor that she had confronted him a number of times, but he denied every such confrontation and accusation to the extent that she felt very guilty of even suspecting him in the first place. Because he had this this uncanny and uncommon way of making her always feel guilty when she accuses him. So she tried to stop suspecting him. But as she tries to continue with her life, she always finds out that things are not adding up. His stories are not adding up. So, she said to the pastor, what I did, I am not proud of it. But what I have done is that I eventually hired a private investigator to follow my husband. She said that this is not just having lunch or having secret meetings. But sir, I have proof of actual adultery being committed by my husband. And here it is. I have the video on this disc. Pastor, do you want to watch it? Pastor said, ah, no. Aurora, I don't want to see. And she said to the pastor, here is something interesting. I still love my husband. And I am willing to make this marriage work. The only thing is that I am sick and I am 
tired of my husband telling me lies. So, pastor, tonight we have an appointment with you. My husband and I. I'm only telling you so that I give you a heads up. I have seen it. It is here in my bag and in my wallet. In color. I just want for one time in our marriage. I want him to tell me the truth. If only he would say yes. I have had an affair. We can start there because I love him. But I don't trust him. So the pastor agreed. And that evening, for the purpose of this discussion, Kenny, give me the name for the wife. The man is Kenny. The woman is Kelly. Kenny and Kelly. (laughs) They came to the pastor in the evening. And the pastor cleared his truth and said to Kenny, Kenny, do you know why we are here together? And he said to the pastor, yes, I know. I'm having an issue in my marriage. My wife is always suspecting me. And I keep telling her that there's nothing. Nothing to all what she thinks. But she would not believe me. Mind you, the pastor knows. She knows. But he does not know they know. Right there in her purse is the evidence in color, in black and white, whatever you call it. So the pastor proceeded for a little while. Over what seemed to be more than an hour. Trying to give him the opportunity to come clean and confess what he's doing. The only thing the pastor did not say to him was the evidence is right in your wife's bag. He did not say that to her, to him. And why he did not say that is because when he says that, he just may, jo- he just may be sorry that he was caught. Not sorry for what he was doing. How many of you know those things? When they have caught you, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so-. You are not sorry because you did what you did. You are sorry because they only caught you. And in your mind, you are saying, oh goodness, how could I be so foolish? How could I? So the pastor did not want that. The pastor wanted him to come clean. So he used all manners of method to cajole him, to make him come up front. He said to him, do you love your wife? He said, yes, I love my wife. I love our children. I love the family we have put together. The pastor again said to him, if you had or you are having an affair, all your wife wants to hear from you is that you are because she still loves you very much and she wants this marriage to work. The man said, I will never, I would never do a thing like that. Never. At the point he turned to his wife, oh babe, How? How could you? And this went on. And finally, the wife mentioned to him and said, I know the woman you are with. 
Her name is Trixie. <laughs> somebody reminded me of the name there. That's why I looked in that direction. You know, somebody who tricks a lot is a trickster. So I used the name. Her name is Trixie. I said, ow, oh, come on. That is just an acquaintance. We have some business issues and all that. And, you know, it's, the, it's something I need very desperately to be able to get. So I take her out for lunch and all that. More than two hours, the man just simply refused to come clean and acknowledge what all three of them knew. All she wanted was to just for once hear the truth from her husband. And it is the same thing with God. God cannot heal what you cannot face. What you refuse to face and acknowledge, God cannot do anything about it. And here's the amazing thing. Whether it is Adam, whether it is Eve, whether it is Kenny, or whether it is Kelly, or whether it is me, or whether it is you, God has it all on tape. Whatever it is you are doing, God sees. If it happens in secret or in the open, God knows. And all he wants from us is to be able to acknowledge it and say, God, I have this issue. Lord, I am dealing with my temper. My temper is out of control. I need your help. Don't say I'm cool. Don't say it runs in my family, so I'm okay. God wants you to just come up clean and acknowledge it. Lord, I am struggling with lust. It is a major source of distraction for me. Oh Lord, my mouth is out of control. When I don't want to talk, I find myself talking. Have you found such people? Oh Lord, I tell lies even when there is no reason to tell a lie. Oh Lord, envy is sapping the joy out of my life. Whenever I see people record achievements, I automatically feel sad and sorrowful. I know it is wrong, but yet I cannot come out of it. God knows it. You know it. All he wants is for you to come and acknowledge it. Oh, Father, I am overtaken by pride. My ego is too large. I need you to help me. Because it is hurting me in my office. The things that my boss does to others, but they do it to me, it affects me. Lord, help me. I'm living with unforgiveness and an appetite for vengeance. Lord, help me. 
Do you know why you need God to help you? Because the devil is not on your side. Let alone the devil will bring out these things at the most critical time in your life. At that time when your promotion and exaltation is due, he knows where to pinch you and it will come out. And for that simple reason, you may miss a chance of a lifetime. God wants us to come clean. And that is why we are all here. Every one of us gathered here this morning, including myself, has an issue we are dealing with. Don't deal with it alone. God is our helper in times of trouble. He's saying to you, come, cast your burden upon me. Cast it upon me. I want to carry it for you. I want to help you. If you have tried for so long that you have resorted to living with that challenge in your life, that is a trick and a lie of the devil. God wants you to yield it to him. The church is made of imperfect people. And that is why we came to church today. Because we want to hear a word that will transform and help our lives. God is not looking for perfect people to come to church. He's looking for imperfect people that he can touch and change. That the world will become better. So if you are here, you are welcome to the fold of imperfect people. Because everyone here, including the one speaking, is imperfect. And let today be for you the day you will stop lying to yourself. Let today is a very significant date. 19th day of May. 2019. So if you want to write it in an abridged form, you say 19519. Mark today as the day you took a decision to stop lying to yourself. First John chapter 1 verse 9 which more or less is like our theme scripture says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we must confess first because he knows it he just wants you to acknowledge it Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says people 28 13 people who conceal their sins will not prosper but if they confess and turn from them they will receive mercy. I pray every one of us today will receive mercy. Amen. For as long as we stop denying 
and lying to ourselves. Mercy is when God withholds the punishment that you deserve. And may God withhold our punishment. May God withhold the consequences of our wrongdoing. May God give us grace to turn away and to turn to him in the name of Jesus. I feel better in the second service. But in the first service, I did confess that in the past couple of days, I have harbored thoughts that were not God-honoring. I have been angry about certain situations. I have been upset about certain situations that has even robbed me of my ability to pray. And I know I need the mercy of God. And one thing I'm confident of this morning is that I am in the company of people who also need the mercy of God. So shall we rise to our feet? If I would borrow the scripture that Brother Dyer used to pray, which is in Psalm 34, verse 6, he said, The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. Those who are poor before God are rich before men. The poor cried to him. The poor is the needy. Those who have a need of God. You are saying without God I am doomed. Without God concerning these issues in my life, I am finished. God wants to hear your cry this morning. Cry out to him and say, Lord, deliver me from all my troubles. Deliver me from all my troubles. Deliver me from the sins that are so easily besetting me. Deliver me from every trap that the enemy has laid for my destiny. Father, hear my cry this afternoon or this morning and deliver me. Deliver me from the clutches of death. From the clutches of destruction. Lord, deliver me. I'm not hearing your voice. Father, deliver me. Set me free. For your word declares, Him who the Lord sets free is free indeed. Set me free. Lord God, reveal the truth that I need to know that will make me free. Let today, the 19th day of May, 2019, be the that I stop lying to myself. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, help me. Set me free, O God. I come before you as someone poor. Make me rich before others. In the name of Jesus, fill me with the fullness of life. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we give you glory. Blessed be your name, O God. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Pray after me. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you paid the price for my sins by your death on the cross. So here I am, Lord. I'm a sinner. Lord, I said I am a sinner. And I know it. 
Forgive me. Cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit. And use me for your glory. By your grace. And with your mercy. From this moment forward. I put you first in my life. I will live my life. To the best of my ability. To glorify you. And to honor you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.